Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. Happy Saturday and welcome to Cover It with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. On today's show, we're going to do a deep dive into college football with my special guest, Paul Stone. I've been looking forward to having Paul on the show basically for the last month, and we finally figured out <laughs> a time that uh, he's available and I'm available. So we'll have Paul on, and Paul, of course, is someone who's been involved in betting on college football at a very high level, uh, basically since I've been in Vegas, and I've been in Vegas the last, this is my 24th football season here uh, in Las Vegas. And I want to tell a little story to open today's show about what was going on in the sports betting world when I first came out here, my first few years. If you haven't been betting on sports, you're not going to remember it. But it was called the Kyle Bill, named after the senator from Arizona, who was very interested in ending legalized betting on college sports. And had to be, what, 2000 and 2001, right in that time frame, when the Kyle Bill all of a sudden got some legs and they had hearings on Capitol Hill. And there was Rick Pitino telling everyone, if people bet on sports, it's bad. And there was Dean Smith sitting in front of a congressional hearing going, if people bet on sports, it's bad. And had Harry Reid not been the senator from Nevada with the power that he had as the uh, uh, leading Democrat, that bill might well have passed. And Reid found a way to kill it and keep the sports books in Nevada betting on college athletics. And now here we are. 20 years later, and if you see the numbers for legalized betting right now, it's insane. What do we have? We have 23 states in D.C. right now. The biggest states, New York, Texas, California. Legalized gambling is still, or legalized betting on sports, still not legal and running yet. So we're not even really at the halfway point for growth. And yet, when you see the numbers, American Gaming Association came out with a survey. 45.2 million Americans are expected to bet on the NFL this season. That's a 36% increase compared to last year. All right. Yeah. Okay. 32 states now have passed sports betting legislation. The NFL has partnered with seven sportsbook operators in the U.S. And we're seeing sports betting commercials on the air during broadcast. Six per game uh, allowed. We're seeing lines on the tickers and on the shoulder programming and on the NFL network. 37% of NFL fans are going to wager on the league this season. 40% of responders who consider themselves, quote, avid NFL fans. 63% of NFL fans who responded to the American Gaming Association survey said sportsbooks at stadiums add value to the in-person experience. So... We're talking, again, an estimated 19.5 million adults are going to place an NFL bet this year. It's less than college. But that's up 73% from last year. Okay? (laughs) That's insane in terms of fantasy. If you're going to be in a fantasy contest or some type of other pool. 69% year over years increase. Now, there were all this talk back in the day before the Kyle Bill. Again, a lot of, you know, everything was underground. It was Las Vegas. It was bookies, and it was offshore sportsbooks. So there was never any realistic idea of how much people actually bet in the United States. All right, well, now we've got some numbers. All right, through seven months, with only less than half the states having legalized, regulated sports betting, 
$27 billion. These are only through July. These aren't even the numbers through the football season. Through July in 2021, $27 billion bet legally with U.S. sportsbooks. Those are insane type of numbers. Those are numbers that saying when this thing, you know, again, the estimates were, I don't know, maybe $20 billion, $50 billion. You know, numbers were thrown all over the place and nobody had any idea of how much was actually getting bet. Now we know there's been $27 billion legally bet in just the first seven months of the year. So that's a $50 billion year, maybe more, because football season, and obviously this time of year is when we see the most in terms of sports betting <laughs> and the highest handle. And obviously October, when we have, oh, I don't know, NFL five weekends, college football five weekends, we have NBA starting, we have NHL starting, we have Major League Baseball playoffs, and everything else, the golf, the tennis, the auto racing, the MMA, etc., etc. Okay, October, November, two huge months. December is the same way. The final three months of the year, the busiest three months of the year in any sports book. So now we're talking <laughs> 50 billion legal this year, maybe more. And again, that's only counting half the country, the three most populous states who don't have legalized betting yet. And there are still many bettors who prefer. Uh, you know, who aren't in states where it's legal or betting on credit, then their numbers don't count in these <laughs> surveys. So when I think back to there was a realistic fear, you know, this wasn't a fear in 2001 that, oh, well, uh, you know, this might happen. It was like, hey, there's hearings on Capitol Hill. We may see a law at the federal level that says no betting on collegiate sports anymore ever. To go from that to this over 20 years? I'll tell you what. It's almost like <laughs> going from, uh, let's see, 1991, Dr. Dre was public enemy number one, if I remember correctly. And Snoop Dogg was never in a million years going to be on a Super Bowl show. And yet, those two guys, along with Eminem, headlining the halftime show in the NFL this season. I'll tell you what. Things change. They're changing quickly in the sports betting world as we speak. Be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And be sure to stay on the grid all day, even when you're not tuned in, by following us on Twitter at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore Covers. And you can follow our guest today, Paul Stone, on Twitter at Paul Stone Sports. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining me on Cover It this week. Well, Teddy, just uh, great to be with you guys. Looking forward to another uh, great Saturday of uh, college football. I think we had an outstanding September and uh, ready for October to get rolling. 
Sure. So uh, let's start with who you are. Uh, I mean, it's the first time you're on the show. You're someone I've tried to have on uh, a number of times. I know you're real good uh, at college football, and I know that you're someone who I've known you know, for the better part of the last 20 years when you and I both used to go to the Tuesday group meetings, a legendary Tuesday group here in Las Vegas. Uh, that was a group of uh, old-time handicappers. Used to get together every Tuesday, and we'd literally go through every single game on the board, college and the NFL. Sometimes it would take five, six hours. You had guys there arguing about who's right and wrong. It was an experience and a half. But, Paul, uh, whenever you were in town, you used to come uh, to those Tuesday group meetings. Unfortunately, uh, many of the older guys have uh, uh, passed on, so that Tuesday group no longer exists the way that it once did. Nonetheless, Paul, you're someone who has a pretty good track record about college football. Tell people your superhero origin story. Who is Paul Stone, and why should anyone care what you have to say about betting on college football? Well, thank you, Teddy. Those were great uh, Tuesday meetings back in the day. Uh, I'm just, a, you know, I'm a, a guy from the eastern part of Texas, uh, Tyler to be exact. I'm a former sports writer. I used to cover the old Southwest Conference back in the day and later Big 12 football. I've always had a love for sports, especially college football. Uh, also a love for numbers. Uh, so handicapping the sport uh, really combines both passions. I've been fortunate enough over the last 10 years to win two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests. I finished in the top four and a couple of others uh, also in the last 10 years. Uh, I'm also, though, a power ratings guy. I like to take advantage of early numbers, uh, such as the college football games of the year, uh, posted each May at the South Point and some other points, uh, other places as well. And I also uh, bet the world's first college football numbers uh, typically each week. Uh, that being late every Sunday morning uh, at the Circa Sportsbook there in downtown Las Vegas. So that's kind of who I am. I'm a guy who just loves college football, uh, used to be a sports writer for many years, uh, and just love handicapping uh, the sport as well as college basketball and PGA golf. Well, I'm going to ask you about the contest success in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk specifically. You talked about the sports that you like to focus on in college football at the top of that list. Why do you think this sport in particular is one that's worthy of focusing on? Why do you think that it's easier to beat than some of the other sports out there? What do you like about the college football marketplace here in 2021? I think, first of all, you know, there's 130 teams in the FBS, so it's obviously very difficult for the book to be right on all the games involving all the teams. Uh, you know, you look at a sports book's overall organization and, and an individual or a collection of individuals, you know, they might not only be responsible for perhaps making and monitoring college football lines, but their energies and focus are going to be split. You know, they're also likely playing a role with this sport and that sport and so forth and so on. We, on our side of the counter, we can be specialists, uh, and I'm a specialist in college football. Uh, you know, it's pretty much where all my handicapping attention is going to be focused during the fall. Uh, so while they're posting, uh, you know, lines and totals maybe on a number of sports, uh, I'm focusing solely on college football. And looking at college football individually, you know, they have to post a line and a total on all these games, many, many games. I don't have to bet all the games. I can be selective. You know, I can pick and choose. So I think when you have 130 teams to follow – uh, when we can be selective, uh, when their attention is not only focused on college football but other sports, um, you know, I think there's some advantages there. You look at the disparity between the teams, the 130 FBS teams that I've spoken of, 
there's a great deal of disparity. You know, you look at the NFL by comparison on a neutral field, the best team in the NFL might only be favored by, say, 17 points on a neutral over the worst team in the NFL. But in college football, you know, what's the line between number one and number 130? You know, it might be 60 points. Uh, so there's such a disparity uh, between teams uh, and a wider range. And that hypothetically, in my mind, creates disagreement. And when you have disagreement, sometimes you have opportunity. So I just think that's some of the reasons that college football is one of the uh, most advantageous sports uh, to handicap out there. And never forget what Paul just said there. And when it turns to the single biggest edge betters have over the bookmakers is one, and it's a big one. It's legit. The books have to post line. They don't have to, but they do. <laughs> They'll post a side and a total for every game. They'll post a team total. They'll post a first half line. They're going to put up a whole bunch of numbers for every single game before we even get into props, you know, because <laughs> the props market isn't in college what it is in the NFL. But they're posting numbers for every game. There's a better. You don't have to bet every game. You're not going to bet every game. You get to pick and choose where you think the line is weak, where you think you have value, where you think the spot stands out. And that is how you overcome the 11 to 10 edge when it comes to laying minus 110 on your standard sportsbook wagers. Now, you talked about it a little bit at the top in your superhero origin story. I want to ask you about contests because that's really a big part of how you built up your reputation. Talk about contest strategies a little bit. Give our audience some tips when it comes to winning football contests, or at least coming pretty darn close. Well, I think, first of all, you know, a lot of these contests will allow you to have multiple entries. Um, two of the contests that I'm in this year, for example, the Golden Nugget Ultimate Football Challenge, it's a combination college football NFL uh, contest, and it posts all the sides on all the FBS games involving SB FBS teams in college football, and then sides on, of course, all the NFL teams. They allow you to have three entries in that contest. Another contest I'm in is going to be the William Hill College Football Contest. It allows five entries. Uh, the uh, entry fee is a little bit pricey for some people, $1,000 an entry, I believe, in both. But if you're able to get the maximum number of entries or close to the maximum, uh, you know, that's certainly to your advantage. You know, first of all, I think you, you have to pick games that you like. You know, your uh, games that you uh, have kind of honed in and it may be personally bet. The line has to be advantageous. One thing to know about these contests is the sheet usually comes out on Wednesday and the lines are static, meaning they're not going to move. The lines on that sheet are what the lines are going to be until the deadline to uh, enter your selections for the contest. So while you might have a game uh, at two and a half, let's say a team's minus two and a half, when you put your entry in, uh, it might be minus four and a half. So, you know, you're certainly going to play some of those opportunities that we call stale lines where the line has moved in a direction and you're able to get a team on the sheet in the contest at a better price. So you want to do some of those. Not all line movements in a contest are the same. You know, for instance, the team going from minus 2.5 to minus 4.5, that's a very significant two-point line move because it goes across key numbers of both 3 and 4. If a game, however, went from one team favored by 1 and now that team's getting plus 1, that's also a two-point line move, but across zero, it might not be totally insignificant, but it's certainly not very significant. So look at the line discrepancies, the stale numbers, 
be cognizant of those, and if they certainly you know cross over key numbers, those are games that you want to consider putting on your sheet. If you're able to get multiple entries, I think it's important to vary the entries to give yourself you know more opportunity to be successful. Um, you know, and, if you're playing catch up at the end, you might have to uh, take some bad numbers. Uh, in other words, a team might be you know, minus seven and a half on the sheet, and they're now minus six and a half. If you're behind the last couple of weeks, but close, still in the hunt. You know, everyone's going to go the other way, and you'll have to take the team at the bad number. More with Paul Stone coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM, Channel 204, The Sports Grid, our radio network. we got Paul Stone as our guest today, doing a deep dive into college football. And Paul, I want to ask you, even though it's October right now, I want to ask you about your off-season prep work and process. Specifically, how much of your bet-on teams, you had, I'm sure, a good handful of teams you thought were going to be bet-on coming to the season, how much of your bet against opinions, you know, again, I'm sure you had a good handful of teams coming in September thinking you're going to bet against these squads. How many of those opinions from over the summer are you still factoring into the equation now? Or is the summer prep work something you're going to use early in the season and by the beginning of October, it's all about what the teams actually are, not what you thought they were going to be? Well, first of all, I mean, as far as my preparation, it's not really summer preparation. It's pretty much, for me, college football is year-round preparation. You know, I consume something related to college football maybe not 365 days a year, but pretty close to it. You know, I'm going to read <laughs> something or, or look at a website or whatever. Uh, it really ramps up, though, once the Final Four uh, is completed that first Monday in October, or first Monday in October, first Monday in April, I'm thinking of this month. Uh, and, and once the, the Final Four is over there in early April, uh, it goes to, you know, probably several hours a day, virtually days a week. Uh, I'm a person who, you, you know, you certainly kind of identify teams that you think might be overvalued or undervalued, uh, you know, the bet against teams, the own teams. But kind of like you said at the end, once we start getting data, once we start getting game results, that's what I lean on. I mean, Arkansas, I wrote a, a story, uh, bet on and bet against teams, specifically uh, that was pretty much the title of the article uh, before the season started, and Arkansas was one of the teams that I identified as a bet against team. I very quickly changed that opinion once they started playing, especially uh, there in the, the latter part of the first half and the second half against Texas, and actually had them last week against Texas A&M, uh, plus the points and on the money line as well. So although I put a lot of effort into uh, identifying those teams that might be bet on and bet against teams, put a lot of effort into crafting power rating numbers on teams, 
once we start getting results, once we start using our eyeballs to watch these teams play, uh, then we can't be married to those pirating numbers that we made over the summer before we had any games. So I'm really uh, a guy who can be quite fluid in my process. I can change numbers pretty significantly the first three or four weeks of the season, and I'm not, for, you know, not afraid to do that. And, you know, it's really an excellent point I want to highlight again here, Paul, because you said something that I think stands out very strongly. All right. You're willing to change your opinion. All right. You're at Arkansas as a bet against team. You saw it early. You realized you were wrong. And boom, within a matter of weeks, now Arkansas is a bet on team. <laughs> okay. We're not politicians. We're allowed to flip-flop. We're supposed to flip-flop. When the evidence points in one direction, and we kind of thought the other direction, if we don't flip-flop, <laughs> we're, we're deluding ourselves. So it's important to be willing to change your opinions in college football and any other sport based on what you're seeing on the field. Let's talk about some specific overachievers. You talked about Arkansas already. Uh, let's talk about a couple of more specific teams that have done very well uh, out of the game. Winning games, covering point spreads and teams that weren't necessarily expected to be serious contenders this year. I'm going to bring three up. You already talked about Arkansas. I'm going to bring up three more. Wake Forest, Baylor, Michigan State. All three of them, I'll call them early season overachievers. What's your opinion moving forward on those three teams? The Demon Deacons, the Bears, and Sparty up in East Lansing. Well, you know, Wake Forest, uh, first of all, you know, coming into the year, I had them, you know, maybe not highly rated, but I thought of them maybe a little bit higher than the, the marketplace in general. So I've only adjusted their power rating up three and a half points. But this is a veteran team. Uh, and, you know, now that we've seen the month of September in college football, this is a team that might have a chance to, you know, maybe play an ACC title game. You know, they're definitely one of the better teams in the conference. It's a veteran team. Uh, and, you know, they just do a great job there. Uh, Baylor, you know, I've adjusted up a few points as well. Baylor's played a pretty easy schedule to, to date, you know, other than the Iowa State game that they won last week, 31-29 there in Waco. Uh, They've played, a, you know, three uh, pretty uh, lackluster opponents. So I'm, I'm still – the jury's still out on Baylor as far as I'm concerned. In the victory last week over Iowa State, they were essentially outgained by 200 yards. They did get a kickoff return, 100 yards, by Tristan Ebner. Uh, and he's a game-breaker. I mean, that's part of what Baylor does. Ebner now has three touchdown returns in his career, uh, kickoff returns for touchdowns. He's got one punt return uh, in his career for a touchdown. So that's part of who they are. But I'm still a little bit out on Baylor. Um, the jury's still a little bit out on Baylor in my mind. Michigan State, I mean, the running back, Kenneth Walker, if you've been – had the opportunity to watch him play a full game. That guy's one of the best running backs in uh, in college football, and I think Mel Tucker. That's one of the biggest surprise in, uh, surprises in college football, in my mind. I've upped their power rating from the start of the season to today by seven points. So really impressed with uh, what Sparty's done to this point. And of course, uh, you're talking about the running back situation for Michigan State. I mean, they're alive to run for 300 yards plus <laughs> against Western Kentucky. Uh, although the Hilltoppers can chuck it around, um, I would expect Sparty to have success in the trenches, moving the football on the ground against Western Kentucky today. Let's talk about some teams on the other side of the equation, the underachievers in early season play. Um, I'm going to list four of them, and you can go through them however you like. But in terms of teams that stand out to me as legit underachievers early, 
Florida State was supposed to be competitive in the ACC, and they're not. Iowa State was supposed to be competing for a Big 12 title. They have two losses already, and both of them are bad. Wisconsin has two losses already, including the ugly one last, or the ugly fourth quarter last week against Notre Dame. And the Utah Utes, a team that some thought was a dark horse contender, maybe not even a dark horse contender to win the Pac-12 this year, they too have uh, underachieved both straight up and against the spread. Those four teams, Florida State, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Utah, is there value on any of these squads moving forward? Are they still overvalued from what we saw in terms of their lofty power ratings coming into the campaign? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's the $64,000 question, Teddy. You know, is there value? You, you definitely want to look at teams. Uh, you know, you want to try to, uh, you know, buy low and, and sell high, if you will. And Florida State, first of all, they're a team that I really didn't expect much of, unlike some people coming into the season. So I'm not too surprised by their showing through the first uh, four weeks of the season. We did get a little bit of a, a false alarm there in the opener against Notre Dame. I think when Mackenzie <laughs> Milton came in and, and rallied the Seminoles and they almost won that game, you know, you were thinking, well, maybe Mike Norvell's got it turned in, turned around in the right direction. I'm a little bit concerned about Florida State, the locker room dynamics, and, and just, uh, you know, keeping everybody uh, going in the same direction, you know, moving forward. Iowa State's a team that's a head scratcher. I mean, they've got a veteran defense back, a veteran team overall. You've got a quarterback in uh, Brock Purdy, who's a, a veteran quarterback. You've got a big time running back in Brees Hall. Uh, they lose to uh, Iowa. Uh, they have a number of turnovers there. Purdy had some interceptions. Uh, lose to Iowa in that game, and then of course lose to Baylor, as we've already talked about uh, last weekend, despite outgaining the Bears by a couple hundred yards. But I think Iowa State's got some. Potential. I think they're a team that you might keep an eye on to see if they do get this thing turned around. So there might be some value in the Cyclones going forward. Uh, Wisconsin, I've lowered their power rating since the beginning of the season by three and a half points. Uh, you know, they still struggle to uh, to throw the ball. Uh, it's no secret that Graham Mertz, who was a big-time recruit there uh, to Madison, has not produced the type of results uh, that they expected, you know, when he signed with the Badgers. Their running game uh, is not what it used to be the last couple of years. You know, they used to average, you know, in the mid-250s, even higher in some seasons. And their running game's just not uh, as productive as it has been in past years. You mentioned Utah as a team that many uh, had tabbed as a dark horse contender to win the Pac-12. I was one of those people. I was really high on the Utes in the off season. Uh, things just seem to be really going in a bad direction. Their they're starting quarterback at the beginning of the year, Charlie Brewer, the Baylor transfer, has already left the program. Uh, Cameron Rising now starting at quarterback. And Utah's been, you know, again, a head-scratcher for me. Uh, but they're a team, I think, that does. They've got a great coach in Kyle Winningham, a great underdog coach in Kyle Winningham. So they're going to be a team uh, that I'll be looking for opportunities perhaps to uh, to back when others kind of turn their noses at them. Yeah, so here's my question for you. Matt Campbell, okay, who's now, you know, he stuck around in Ames when he had opportunities to go elsewhere. Is he going to be stuck in Ames forever now if this Iowa State team's underachieves? Uh, or has Matt Campbell still got his eye on a, on a bigger job, a bigger program? Well, you know, he seems to really be happy there. I don't know that it's absolutely a destination job, as he kind of makes it out to be. You know, I think if he was ever going to move on to one of the really true blue bloods in the sport, 
that this was the team that maybe was going to get him that opportunity because it was a veteran team, and now it looks like it's not going to happen. But, uh, you know, he's obviously uh, still young. He makes a good salary there in Iowa State, so uh, at Iowa State. So it'll be interesting to watch. But certainly uh, this will put a uh, little bit of a stall at least on the trajectory of his career because he seemed to, you know, to this point uh, – had pushed all the right buttons and, and it had been, um, you know, he's obviously one of the regarded coming into the season as one of the top young coaches in the game. So it'll be interesting to see how they rebound at this point. And uh, sometimes, like you said, you know, coaches miss that opportunity. The, the window of opportunity closes and they're kind of, you know, stuck where they are until uh, maybe that job ends as well. We're just getting started with Paul Stone. I'm going to ask him about non-conference matches versus the start of conference play. I'm going to talk to him about the sharp square divide. And yeah, he's going to give us a pick before I let him off the show. We'll be right back. Cover it. Continue. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Series XM, Channel 204. And, of course, we've got Paul Stone joining us today at Paul Stone Sports. And, Paul, I've got a million questions to ask you and only one more segment to do it in. So, uh, let's start with this. Talk about non-conference matchups versus the start of conference play. Because that's where we're at Where we're at in the college of football season. The conference games and the conference schedules really heating up this weekend next, and after that it'll be mostly a conference action the rest of the way. How should betters adjust? What do we do with the teams that just beat up on patsies or teams that stepped up in class and failed, and now these teams are all coming back to their own relative level of opposition? Is there any broader trend that you found over the years? Do we want to fade teams that are overvalued after beating the weak? Do we want to bet on teams that are undervalued after getting pounded by the strong? How do you approach the start of the conference season after the non-conference games have been played. Well, I'm a, Teddy, I'm a real strength of schedule guy. You know, I, I think uh, a, a lot of teams are, are going to play stronger non-conference opposition, and uh, some teams are obviously going to play lesser competition. And you have to take that into account. It's not always necessarily the most important thing at the end of a game to look at the score on the scoreboard, but to look at the team's and their relative uh, level of uh, strength, if you will. You know, so I, I put a lot of stock into the strength of opposition uh, in the non-conference. You know, not all non-conference matchups, first of all, are created equal. Uh, some teams have some familiarity. They play most years or maybe every other year. The coaching staffs might know one another. They maybe even, in some cases, are regionally uh, affiliated, even though they're not in the same conference, might have recruited the same players. So, when there's some familiarity, you're going to be looking uh, more perhaps at the underdog. Some of the, the non-conference matchups, though, uh, doesn't have that familiarity, and uh, you know that dynamic's not uh, 
not as critical. When you get to the start of conference play, uh, again, using that same keyword familiarity, the staffs know one another. They, they know their tendencies. They Certainly teams can change, as long as the coaching staffs are the same um, and the personnel is relatively the same. They have an idea what these teams are going to do. So I think, again, that makes the underdog more attractive. Um, conference play, uh, you know, you look, whether it be non-conference or conference play, you always look at the scheduling dynamics. You look at uh, situations, I mean, like last week, that uh, Western Kentucky – hosting uh, Indiana. I mean, that was just a great spot that many of us had been looking at for months. The fact that Western Kentucky was getting a Big Ten team, you don't get a Big Ten team to Bowling Green, Kentucky very often. So that was a huge opportunity uh, for that program. They were also getting an Indiana team uh, that had Penn State on deck, uh, that had uh, you know played some big games before that. So it was just a great scheduling op- opportunity in a non-conference game that meant very little to Indiana, that meant everything to Western Kentucky. So the motivation uh, edge was certainly uh, on the side of the Hilltoppers, and they almost won the game, and they did get the money. So uh, those are some of the things I kind of look at in terms of non-conference matchups versus uh, conference play. So one lesson I learned, I learned this lesson pretty early. Uh, And Bill Snyder taught me the lesson at Kansas State. If you remember, when that program was going from bottom feeder to national title contender, like it did in the Bill Snyder era, uh, what they did was they feasted on the week all early season. They would play patsy after patsy, and their non-conference strength of schedule was the weakest in all of college football year in, year out. And you know what? They'd get four wins. (laughs) And that mattered as they started to build up. But year after year... People would say, oh, K-State, they haven't played anyone. They're not any good. They haven't played anyone. They're not any good. Just because you haven't played anybody doesn't mean that you're not good. In fact, you can find teams that are undervalued after smashing a bunch of weaklings because the markets aren't convinced they're capable of stepping up and playing well against stronger teams. Those opportunities may present themselves as well. I'm going to ask you about sharp versus square. All right, there's been a lot of talk and a lot of questions on Twitter. I see it all the time. You know, people ask me, what's the sharp side of this game? Is this a sharp play? Do you pay any attention to who the wise guys like? And again, a sharp play is a play that is getting some professional money, and a public play is a play uh, that the public seems to like. Do you pay any attention to who the wise guys like or who the public likes, or is that a non-factor for you in your handicapping? You know, personally speaking, I always talk about the rule of 168, Teddy. There's 168 hours in the week, so we can only do so much. And some of us, you know, we include certain things in our process, and and some of us don't. And from my standpoint, it's really something, you know, that's not really on my radar. You know, first of all, I'm not really sure who's who, you know, who the sharps are and who the squares are. And on top of that, you know, the sharps sometimes lose and the, the squares on occasion win. Uh, so, you know, I'm just a guy. I work tirelessly. I kind of work in a cocoon. I try to combine my years of experience with all the small collective uh, advantages that I'm trying to accumulate and, and trying to parlay that into a, a 55, 56, uh, you know, ATS record uh, over a season-long or large sample size. So I'm not really – I know a lot of people look at it, and a lot of people probably uh, gain some edges from it. But it's just not part of my process, and at this point – uh, in my handicapping career, you know, I'm probably going to be uh, one of those guys that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Although, in all seriousness, I do. You know, you, you have to stay, uh, you have to stay alert, you have to be flexible, you have to be willing to change, like we talked about on 
uh, our opinions of Arkansas or my opinion on Arkansas, but it's just not something I really uh, examine that closely in my overall handicapping process. So, again, note, hear that clearly, listening audience. <laughs> Paul's been a long-time successful college football bettors. better. He pays no attention to what the sharp side is or what the square side is, and I'm with him in that regard. Remember, the sharp side might have been whoever at plus 10.5. Once the plus 10.5s are gone, now it's not the sharp side anymore. Now it's the followers. <laughs> so the sharps are getting good numbers. And that, of course, the biggest difference between the professional and the recreational better. Professionals bet numbers. Recreational bettors play teams. And we talk about betting numbers. Talk about line shopping, how to get the best of the number. You're someone that bets throughout the course of the week. How many outs do you have? How many books do you bet at? What's the minimum number of books that any serious better needs to have? And uh, if you want, you can throw in a little about money management at this stage of the discussion as well. Yeah, you know, I'm in Vegas most college football weekends. So during college football season, you know, I probably have seven or eight outs, you know, that have unique numbers. So have a pretty good number of outs during football season. I would say as far as the number of outs that a person needs to have to, to try to do this at some serious level, you know, three's an absolute minimum. You know, hopefully you have more than that. You know, I think five uh, or more is ideal. Um, you know, a variety of factors might uh, prevent a person from having uh, five outs. But, you know, three's a minimum. Five or more is ideal. You know, you have to strive to get the best number. Uh, and for me, you know, the way that I do it, and everybody has a different process again, but for me, that's betting at the earliest possible moment. You know, I'm, I'm going to be there at Circa betting those uh, worldwide openers, uh, a market-making book, and that's that's in my wheelhouse. You know, that's how I do it. Um, the guy who's, let's say, walking into the same sports book around the corner from his townhouse, you know, two hours before kickoff every Saturday morning, just betting the numbers that they, whatever they have up at that sports book around the corner, you know, that's going to be a really tough way to win. You know, the, by then the numbers have been basically cannibalized by millions of people and millions of dollars, uh, and, and there's really no value there. You've got to get the best of the number. You know, I have people all the time ask me, who do you like? Who do you like? Well, the better question is, who do you who do you like at what number? Because I've got numbers, not teams. I never just like a team. I mean, it's all contingent on what number is related to that team and who they're playing. So it's more about numbers than teams. We bet numbers, not teams. I can't emphasize that enough. Yeah, and I, I'm just remembering old Tuesday group arguments with guys going around yelling at each other because uh, somebody got a plus 10.5 and, and the other guy who took a plus 10 is like, Oh, you know, you didn't get the best of the numbers. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, uh, you'd have that all the time. And note what Paul said there. Again, I don't mean to reemphasize everything you're saying. But when you make good points, I want to harp on it. And this one stands out to me. Minimum of three books. Minimum. And realistically, you want to have five at all times. So if you have $100 to bet, your bankroll is 100 bucks. take $20 and put it into five different accounts. That's the way to do it. Getting the best of the number. Again, it makes all the difference. And we harp on it and we talk about it. You can lead a horse to water. You can't always make him drink. Winning games by a half point. I want to prop on Joe Burrow on Thursday night. Under 32 and a half pass attempts. He had 32 pass attempts. <laughs> you know, you uh, when you're winning games by the hook and winning props by the hook, you feel a lot happier than when you're losing them by the hook. And whether it's a half pass, a half run, a half point, having 
multiple books at all times. You can get your bet down on. Makes all the difference. Paul, we've got just a couple of minutes left. I want to make sure that you get a chance to promote yourself. I want to make sure that you give out our audience something that you like in college football, maybe on Saturday night. So uh, how about a free play? And then feel free to promote yourself, tell them your Twitter handle, your website, all that kind of stuff. Good deal. Well, first of all, let's uh, look at a, a late-night game uh, tonight. Uh, it's going to be Arizona State going to the Rose Bowl to uh, play UCLA, getting three points. You know, these Pac-12 rivals uh, both enter this game uh, with a single loss, both of those losing two weeks ago. You look at UCLA's loss, first of all, and its loss, the Bruins gave up 569 yards and 40 points to Fresno State, while Arizona State loses at BYU 27-17. to In that game, the Sun Devils turned the ball over four times, and that included a couple of interceptions from uh, quarterback Jaden Daniels. And they were also penalized 16 times for 121 yards. So anytime you turn the ball over four times, you get penalized 16 times. You're probably not going to win, you know, at a pretty good uh, football against a pretty good football team like BYU on the road. But I like this uh, Arizona State team. I like Jaden Daniels at quarterback. I still believe the Sun Devils are going to be a factor in the Pac-12, uh, especially the battle for the South Division crown. The past two meetings between Arizona State and UCLA the past two years, Arizona State closed in both those games as a three-point favorite. They lost both those games to UCLA. Now the tables are turned. The Sun Devils are getting three points from the Bruins, and uh, I kind of like that dynamic. Additionally, Herm Edwards, uh, since taking over there in Tempe, 9-3 and three against the spread as an underdog. Conversely, Chip Kelly, only 4-8 and eight against the spread, as a betting favorite at UCLA, I'm going to re- recommend taking Arizona State plus three. Might want to sprinkle a little money on the uh, money line as well, but I like the Sun Devils over the Bruins uh, Saturday night, later tonight at the Rose Bowl. As far Uh-oh. as who I- You and I disagree on that one because I think UCLA is a notch or two better than Arizona State, and I'm worried about the Sun Devils doing what they've done so far this season, which is spending half the game with a shotgun point at their own feet. Uh, that's a team that makes... A lot of mental miscues. So you and I can disagree on this one. Uh, that being said, if you got the best of the number, it's possible to push one way and cash the other. Paul, where do people find you? you got 30 seconds. Tell them how they can find Paul Stone. Good deal. First of all, uh, my website is paulstonesports.org. They can see what I have to, to offer there and read a little bit about uh, who I am and so forth. I also do a podcast, which is the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Uh, that usually drops on Tuesday night. Uh, it's available through my website, paulstonesports.org, or at all your uh, favorite uh, podcast platforms. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, certainly would appreciate that. My Twitter handle, at paulstonesports. We'll be right back. We're at SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
Then we're in the home stretch of covering with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. Be sure not to miss anything from our programming. Go to Twitter and follow us at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV to stay informed all day long. You get clips, breaking news, updates, and pretty much everything else at SportsGrid and at SportsGrid TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. And I want to give you guys a betting opinion of my own for college football of four today. And this is one of these spots that stands out like a sore thumb. We have NC State laying what? 18, 18 and a half, 19, depending on where you shop around. Coming off basically the biggest win they've had in the last, oh, I don't know how long, decades? (laughs) You know, after knocking off Clemson last week in a wild double overtime thriller. And then you read the quotes afterwards, Dave Doran after the game. Quote, if you don't allow people to celebrate in special moments, I don't know what we're doing. So, coming off the biggest win that they've had in years, they have a bye on deck. So they get a little bit of time off for the for the ACC schedule. And in between, all you have is Skip Holtz's Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, who, by the way, hung 34 on Mississippi State and almost beat uh, the Bulldogs in Starkville. They hung 37 on SMU, the team that beat uh, TCU last week, a Big 12 squad, and they beat up on TCU last week. Lost that game on a tipped pass Hail Mary. This is a good offense for Louisiana Tech, which means the back door is open. All right. And when you see the quotes, this is what NC State defense coordinator Tony Gibson said. Quote, this is probably the best offense we played up to this point. Remember, they played Mike Leach's air raid already. They played Clemson and all the five-star recruits already. And he's saying LaTeX's offense is real. They're trying to get the kids to be up for this game. I'm not convinced it's going to happen. And I think Louisiana Tech has the offensive potency to hang around in this one. Give me LaTeX plus the points at NC State on Saturday. That's a 6 o'clock Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific kickoff. And that's going to wrap it for the college football edition of Cover It with Teddy Covers for this week. Be sure to tune in tomorrow, NFL edition. Cover It with Teddy Covers between now and then. Good luck. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name.